Gentlemen, what would your life look like if you could put all of your focus on solving the problems? That's what we're going to talk about with today's guest, Dr. Ellen Reed on the Manlyhood Mancast. Are you ready to live life to the full? Are you ready to rise up and live a life of honor? Are you ready to boldly step into a life of courage? This is the Manlyhood Mancast, and here's your host, Josh Atcher. And welcome to the Manlyhood Mancast. I'm your host, Josh Hatcher. And today we have a guest that is really going to give you some useful, helpful ways that you can retrain your brain and your thoughts to solve your problems. Before we get into that, though, I just want to let you know, I am so grateful that you guys have been tuning into the Manlyhood Mancast, that you guys have been interacting with us on our Facebook page, our Instagram, and our TikTok, and I want to let you know that if you really want to dig in deeper as a man, make sure that you get plugged into the Manlyhood Man Cave. It's our private Facebook group for men where men help build each other up. That's what we do there. And I am glad to be a part of that and to see brothers encouraging brothers. It's a brotherhood and you're welcome to join us. Also, please make sure that you get a copy of my book, Manlyhood, The 12 Pillars of Masculinity. You can get it at Amazon or you can get it at manlyhood.com. Without further ado, let's jump right into this conversation with Dr. Ellen Reed. Dr. Ellen Reed, it's great to have you on the show. Should I call you Doc? Should I call you Ellen? No, (laughs) call me Ellen. Okay, that sounds good. I am so glad to have you on the show today. Why don't you introduce yourself, tell us about you, what you do, uh, and introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I am a mental training consultant, um, performance coach. So I work every day coaching athletes, business professionals on really improving their lives, whatever that means to them. So um, whether it's coaching an athlete on mental toughness and being able to have better control over their thoughts to be able to perform at the top of their game. Um, The same goes true for business professionals. And we do a lot of um, goal setting in a very effective way to help people basically get results. Um, And in results in business and in sports, but also in life and happiness and confidence and relationships. Um, So that's my I guess you could say my afternoon job (laughs) and my day job is I'm also a professional dancer. So I dance with a company in St. Louis called the big muddy dance company. And so I'm there every day from nine 30 till about two 30. Um, and then I get home and get on zoom coaching calls and do speaking and, um, things like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm, in the business of truly trying to help people, yeah. I would say. And you're a Jill of all trades as well. So, yeah. <laughs> I've Very got cool. two little boys, um, six and three, that keep me busy too. Ah, yeah, that will do that. I don't know how you do all of it then. That's definitely, <laughs> that would well, be a challenge. It, it, I, 
it, I always say that I feel like it, it looks more impressive on paper probably than it actually is because <laughs> right. it just works. It just works. It's just yeah. my life. And it's the way it's always kind of been with having, uh, you know, academic or, you know, professional coaching life with the professional dancing life. And then I've got an amazing husband, um, and two great kids. So it just works. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It takes a, a finely tuned machine or a machine that doesn't care if it's falling off the rails a little bit to make it yeah. work, I imagine. So <laughs> absolutely. Um, that's awesome. So when you talk about your job as a high performance coach, I definitely know, um, that's, I think, where we're really going to connect today, yeah. a lot of that kind of stuff, because, yeah. you know, what manlyhood is about is it's about personal development for men. It's helping men be better men. Um, and, you know, I, I want to make it clear, I'm not one of those people that think that men are horrible and men are evil. Like, there's two kind of narratives out there right now. And one is that all men are bad and we need to uh, we need to browbeat them into submission. And then there's one that says all uh, men are good there's a few that are bad, but let's help all men be better men, which is kind of my focus. So um, tell me about, and I know that, you know, from the sounds of it, you probably work with men and women, which is awesome. And I, I think women are awesome. Let's, I'd love to see a womanlyhood start so we can help women be better women too, but I can't start it because that would be misogynistic, I'm sure. So, (laughs) but, but let's hear about um, what does that look like for you? Like what kind of, what kind of things do you teach men? How do you help men and women, how do you help people level up? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a a big question, Uh, but it's actually a really simple one. You know, I've been um, working with Dr. Jason Selk for 15 years now. And Jason was actually kind of got his big start as the sports psychology director for the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team. And I started working with him right around when I was in graduate school, getting my doctorate in psychology. And he was just about to start with the Cardinals. And I, we kind of crossed paths and he needed someone to come on and help him more with like administrative things. And so that's what I started doing for him. And I was the perfect fit because I really didn't know or care anything about baseball. (laughs) (laughs) And so my job was to call all of these superstar players on the Cardinals and confirm their appointments with Jason when I was still in school studying. So when his start with the Cardinals kind of happened and he had around the same time had written a best-selling book called 10 minute toughness that was geared towards athletes and teaching athletes, the mental toughness that gives them that edge over their competition and leads them to their peak performance Um, his business really started to take off and people started picking up this 10 minute toughness book and whether they were athletes or not and saying, you know, Hey, this stuff really works in my professional life or in my personal life. So Jason started taking on a lot more business clients. And as I finished graduate school and started taking on coaching clients as well, both of us sort of got our start working with athletes Um, And then kind of gradually, I still work with a lot of athletes, started taking on more and more business clients. But what's interesting about that is that the fundamentals that we teach our athletes are the same that we teach our business professionals. Mm -hmm. And it's actually so much easier in business than it is in athletics. And what it boils down to is 
you figure out what it is you want to accomplish. And we call that the vision. You know, what is it that you want out of life? And then what do you need to be doing every day to get there? And I know that sounds very simple, but you wouldn't believe how many people are not doing those things or who don't even know what it is that they want to be doing or that they want to accomplish. And so in this framework of vision plus that integrity piece of what do you need to be doing every day in order to achieve that vision, the results become really simple and really controllable. Now, in the sports world, that's a little bit trickier. You know, you can be putting in all the work, have all the effort and the heart in the world, and somebody else can kind of totally blow you out of the water just with their natural ability. But in the business world, this stuff is so easy. It's so easy. Um, we recently wrote a book together called Relentless Solution Focus. And one of the, the things that we detail in there is this framework. Vision plus integrity equals success or happiness. And, and people are oftentimes, I think, surprised with the simplicity of it. But the results really speak for themselves. Like over the course of the 15 years that I've been doing this, and Jason's been doing this a lot longer than I have, we've continued to simplify, simplify, simplify. <laughs> and so my coaching calls with people now are really no longer than 30 minutes ever. And Jason, I think his are even shorter than that. I think he typically spends like 15 minutes on the phone with his coaching clients, not because our time is just that limited, but because it becomes counterproductive after a while, right? To try to pile on more and more and more and more when what we really need to be doing is first and foremost, figure out the imp important stuff. And then just make sure you're nailing that important stuff. And, you know, it's a little, I know it sounds simple, but the more we can simplify it, the more effective it is. So you talked about the Cardinals and we talked a little bit before we started rolling, but uh, I've always been a lifelong Cardinals fan. My family's from St. Louis. I wore a Cardinals baseball cap like every day growing up. And one of my best friends from school that we went to, grade school all the way through high school together ended up playing on the Cardinals. I think probably the year, well, I know it was the year they won the world series. And I think it may have been the year that Jason was coaching them, which is really yeah. kind of a cool experience. So we yeah. kind of have a little connection there. Um, awesome. So, well, and that was, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, no, but you're fine. Jason, Jason started with the Cardinals in 2006 which was the year that they got their first World Series win, I think over 20 years. And then in the time that he was there, they also won their second World Series in 2011. And then, you know, so you can imagine that was pretty good for business. Right, right. <laughs> and again, that was right around the time that I started working with him, but people really started to take notice of, okay, this, this program, these tools really work and are actually very simple to implement if you just do them with consistency. So it still sounds a little bit pie in the sky for me. Mm -hmm. right? So let's break this down very practically. If you don't mind, okay. help me, yeah. help, help yeah. me, help me wrap my head around this. So let's say I'm a business owner and I am running into some walls, you know, could you maybe walk me through a couple scenarios? Sure. And actually, let me step it back even further than that framework that I started with mm -hmm. and teach you about, tell you about relentless solution focus. 
Okay. So this is the title of the book, Relentless Solution Focus, because Jason, over his 30-year-plus career, has really had amazing opportunities to work with some of the most successful people to walk the planet in terms of the business world, in terms of the sports world. He's really worked with some incredibly successful individuals. And what he started to notice about these kind of superstars is that they had one kind of commonality. And that one kind of common thread was their ability to stay focused on solutions. Their ability to stay focused on solutions, especially in the face of adversity or especially when facing problems. And so really, this kind of boils down to optimism. It's really another way of, of, of kind of defining optimism, the mind's ability to stay focused on solutions, especially in the face of adversity. And Jason developed this relentless solution-focused tool, this relentless solution-focused concept as a way of teaching optimism. So we all look at these sort of like superstar people that we watch documentaries about or, you know, we, we see on TV or we watch them win Super Bowls or World Series and think that, okay, they're just like aliens, right? Like they just right. like popped into the world with this like amazing ability to perform. But you can learn to be just like that in terms of your ability to stay focused on solutions. You can learn to be able to adopt this relentless solution focus. And so that's exactly what we do with our clients is we teach them the tools and the fundamentals to develop this relentless solution focus. And that's what, that's why we wrote this book to get it out to as many people as we can. So let me explain a little bit more about kind of what this relentless solution focus is. We know it's the mind's ability to stay focused on solutions, but let me explain a little bit about why this is so important. So we all have as our normal, natural course of thought, something called problem centric thought where our brains want to go to the problem or what we feel like we're lacking in life or where we feel like we screwed up first and foremost. So think about this, you know, are you the kind of person who does 99 things right in a day and then one thing less than perfectly? And what are you thinking about at the end of the day? Yeah. The screw up for sure. Yeah. And that's the way most of us are wired. That's the way most of us are wired, that problem-centric thought. It's so easy to overlook that 99 and be focusing on that one. And if that sounds like you, you're normal. You're normal. It's the way our brains are wired. But unfortunately, that's really detrimental to our performance and to our happiness. So, you know, there was a good reason for this. And if you think about it from an evolutionary perspective, it was really important that our brains were able to quickly point out or focus on like the poisonous berries on the bush right. or like the, the huge wild animal running at us at a time when our resources were much more scarce and our environments were much more unstable. But now we live in a completely different world where our resources are much more plen plentiful. Our environments are much more stable. And so this problem-centric thought that was once very important to our evolution really totally derails our progress and it makes us miserable. And the reason for that is because that which you focus on expands. 
it's expectancy theory. It's a theory in psychology that's the basis behind most of the work that Jason and I do. That, that which you focus on expands. And so when you're focused on your problem, your problem gets bigger. When you're focused on what you feel like you're lacking or what's frustrating about your situation or what's frustrating about your job, it gets worse. And the reason for that is because of self-confidence. And here's the other thing that's really important to understand is that self-confidence is the number one variable for all human performance. Empirically speaking, there is nothing that's going to determine how you're going to perform more than your self-confidence. But people haven't been taught how to work on and grow their self-confidence. And what's normal is for that self-confidence to take a huge beating by this problem-centric thought, where we want to be really quick to kind of blow off what we do well and focus in on what our problems are in life. And again, that which you focus on expands. And so what this does to a person's self-confidence totally filters into how they perform in their lives and completely filters into the way we experience our lives and our levels of stress and our levels of happiness. Um, and there's a very chemical basis behind all of this too. It's a very biological thing that when our brains are focused on a problem, our brain sends a signal to our body to release cortisol. And I'm sure you're familiar with cortisol. It's, it's a stress hormone. And at, you know, moderate levels, cortisol is important for us. You know, it gets us motivated. It kind of gets us moving. But at even slightly elevated levels, cortisol totally wreaks havoc on our health and our performance, right? And it really doesn't take a lot of extra to create those really negative levels. And that's why, and this is one of my favorite stats out there, that people with this relentless solution focus live on average up to 14 years longer hmm. than people who don't have these relentless solution focus qualities. It's like almost unbelievable. 14 years just by developing and by maintaining this optimism, this relentless solution focus. And again, it is something that you can work on and you can learn just like anything else, just like any other skill. If you put training, you put work into it, you can learn it. And it's actually quite simple to learn. And it takes no more than like three minutes a day by doing, you know, the things we, we teach you in the book, That's something called the mental workout success log takes no more than three minutes a day. And if you do that on a consistent basis, you will literally rewire your brain towards this relentless solution focus. So that concept of rewiring your brain is like, that sounds completely foreign to a lot of people, but like there's been okay. a lot of studies on that, right? Like, yeah, yes, like there's elasticity yes. and plasticity there where it can Yes, exactly, reshaped. exactly. And it's probably something that everybody learned about in, I don't know if it would be like middle school or high school or whatever, but you probably forgot about it, right? Like I forgot about it before I encountered it again in graduate school. And there's, it's called Hebb's Postulate. What fires together, wires together. In terms of our brain, neurons that fire together wire together so the more we do things the more it reinforces mm. right so the more that we're teaching and we're training our brains to focus on solutions the easier it will be for us to focus on solutions but again we're used to and what's normal for us is to reinforce that problem-centric thinking and in fact we reinforce it for each other 
Like when you go into your a typical meeting, you know, what are people usually talking about? Problems or solutions? Oh, yeah. Or they're griping about going into the meeting. Yeah. Like another meeting. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Or venting, right? Yeah. We make each other better at getting worse. You know, it's like you watch the news and you're watching problems. You're not watching solutions. Your right. typical movie is, you know, 98% focused on the problem. So we're a very problem-centric society. And it's, again, it's, it's, our, it's part of our biology, but just because it's part of our norm now doesn't mean it has to be part of your norm. So let's say I'm your average dude. <laughs> And I want to be a highly successful dude. Yeah. And, and I know that I've got to start retraining the way that I think. So like, obviously obviously your book is helpful and we want to point people to that, but give me a little more here. Help me out. Yeah. Well, let (laughs) me teach something. Yeah. 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 Um, Let me teach something from the book and this will be really, it'll be really, it's simple in concept. It's simple to execute doesn't take a lot of time. It just takes consistency. It's something called the success log. There's three questions that if you get in the habit of answering these three questions every day, you're really going to like the results. The first question is, what three things did I do well in the last 24 hours? Literally that simple. Just write down three things you did well in the last 24 hours. Number two, what's one thing you want to improve in the next 24 hours? So keeping your focus on improvement, not what 10 things that I screw up today, but what's the one thing that I want to improve tomorrow. And then number three, what's an action step? What's one action step I can do that could help make that improvement? Because you see, it's usually pretty easy for people to figure out what they want to improve, but most people don't naturally take that next step to determine what they need to do in order to make that improvement. Or they get so overwhelmed with how big the situation is that they don't even take that next step because it feels too big. Like if you knew what to do to get better, you would just do it, (laughs) right? And so forcing yourself to say, okay, well, what's just one action step I can take that could help me make that improvement? Not what's the thing that's going to solve this problem or that's going to totally fix this issue or bring about that improvement, but what's one thing that could help make the improvement? So again, three simple questions that if you get in the habit of that, every single day you are rewiring your brain and taking advantage of that neuroplasticity that you talked about. Our brains have the ability to mold and change through training. And so you've got to do the training. So it seems really simple, but don't let the simplicity of it kind of make you shy away from it. Just take two minutes a day, one minute a day to jot down the answer to those three questions. And I would actually pen to paper, write down the answers. And the reason for that is because they've done research on this that has shown that writing things down makes them nine times more impactful. So writing them down is nine times more impactful than just thinking about it in your brain. So that's one really concrete, really effective tool. I'd start doing that, you know, four, four days a week. So obviously a long-term goal is important, right? We, we all know in our mind, whether we've ever written it down on paper or thought about it or whatever, we've all, we all know where we want to be, you know, like I know I'd like to reach a million men with manlyhood, right? Like that's yeah. a goal of mine. 
And when I hit that, I'll make another goal, but that's my, (laughs) you know, I want to reach a million men. And, um, so as I am, you know, working towards that, I'm not going to hit that goal today. So, so when I get to the end of my day, I should ask those questions and say, all right, not how did I screw up today, but, (laughs) or what did I do wrong today? But how can I improve? What is the next step for hitting that goal? Who, how can I move in that direction? Okay. So now you're getting into that, back to that framework that we talked about, that vision plus the integrity piece of it. What do I need to be doing every day equals success, happiness, right? But let me also point out that the fact that you have goals puts you so far ahead of the majority of people. So that in and of itself is great. The fact that you have a goal. Now, that would be what we call a vision goal, right? So then that's result oriented. So the way we traditionally think of goals is in terms of results, right? Like reaching a million men or making a certain amount of money or having a certain uh, GPA or ERA or whatever it is, winning a world series. Exactly. Now a vision goal, we like to think of between like three to five, maybe 10 years down the road. So more long-term. Mm-hmm. Now, when we're talking about those long-term vision goals, it's okay to dream big. It's okay to dream big. Opens your mind up to kind of the possibilities of what you can accomplish. But then we say, okay, here's your vision. Now, what do you want to, what do you need to accomplish within the next 12 months? And that's what we call, it's called, a, we call it a product goal, but you don't need to remember that. But it's the results-based goal that you want to accomplish within the next 12 months. And when we're talking about time periods of three years or shorter, when we're talking about this, this product goal, we want to be totally realistic. We don't want the mentality of shoot for the moon and you'll land amongst the stars here, which is really common. And people out there are teaching this, which is really unfortunate. And there's no empirical evidence to support this, that these kind of like far reaching goals and time periods of 12 or three years or shorter is effective. So these far reaching goals and time periods of three years or shorter are really counterproductive. And the reason for that is because if you're telling yourself, let's say, let's say what would be a far reaching goal for the next 12 months for you? Well, um, I can tell you that within the next 12 months, I would like to lose a hundred pounds. Yeah. Which okay, sounds great. a little bit ridiculous, but I, I weigh a lot. So that's okay. a realistic goal. So, I've done it before. So. Okay, great. Okay, so if that if that's what we want to say, let's put a number to this. Mm-hmm. That because when people are out there out there trying to figure out their goals and like, well, what's far reaching, what's not? Don't do anything beyond a ten to twenty percent increase or improvement for what you are now. And holding yourself to those parameters will make it so much more likely that you will totally blow past your goal versus kind of shooting for the moon lands land amongst the stars mentality. Right. Because that shoot for the moon land amongst the stars mentality teaches you that you don't have to do what you say you're going to do. So let's go back to that kind of the, the health example. So let's say that, let's say that you don't work out at all now. And you say, okay, I'm going to start going to the gym every day. Like, I don't work out at all now, but I'm going to start going to the gym every day. Knowing in the back of your mind, well, I'm not probably going to go every day, but I'll at least go more than if I said I was only going to go twice a week. 
So then the first week comes around, let's say you go to the gym five days, which is great. That's a huge improvement over zero. But then the next week rolls around and you're already too short of what you said you're going to do because you said you were going to do seven. So maybe you go three. And now you're starting to feel a little bit worse about yourself because you're like, dang, you know, I said I was going to go seven and I only went three. And you're reinforcing the fact that you don't have to do what you commit to. You don't have to be accountable to yourself. You're teaching yourself that it's okay to lose. That it's okay to fail in that way. Whereas if you had started by saying, okay, I'm going to start going to the gym twice a week. And then you hit that. Then you have the confidence to know that, hey, I said I was going to go twice and I did it. That makes it so much easier to go twice the next week. And then twice the next week. And then twice the next week. And then you say, well, gosh, I've been successful at going twice. Let's add a third. But it's such a more effective way for going about setting goals then the shoot for the moon land amongst the stars. So you scale up by about 10% each time that you are reevaluating your goals is kind of. Yeah, that's a really good question. So I would say 10, 10, well, in terms of results. So let's, uh, let me, let me kind of back this up because I think this is an important distinction. So when you set a product goal, we would typically set it for about 12 months down the road. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's say that that goal realistically for you is to lose 100 pounds. Now, let me ask you this. What's the number one most important thing for you to do on a daily basis or on a weekly basis that's going to put you in the position to to meet that goal? Yeah, well, I need to be exercising and I need to be eating properly. Okay, so let's pick one of those to start. Which one do you think is more important? Let's, Let's talk about the exercise factor. Okay. And, good. And, the, and the reason good. I say that is because, because the eating factor, right. Is like not as hard for me as getting moving, you know? Okay. So. Yes. So, so good. So instead of just saying, I'm going to exercise more, let's mm-hmm. define it, right. Let's make it completely measurable. So exercise X number of minutes, X number of times a week, or, you know, walk, outside for an hour x number of times like it doesn't matter what it is necessarily but let's Mm -hmm. define it let's make it measurable let's make it concrete so what do you think yeah so why don't i say i have an hour lunch break every day so let's say three days a week i'm just throwing stuff out there by the way yeah no this is great this is great this will help a lot of people to work through three days a week i'm gonna take uh you know a half hour to an hour walk on my lunch break great Great. And are you doing that at all now? Um, I am trying to. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. But I'm not, so, I'm not like successful many, at doing it three days a week. Okay. How many days a week are you doing it now on I'm, average? I'm going to say like right now, like two, one to two. Good. Okay. So then I think shooting three days a week and I, three days a week is a realistic increase, right? right? And here's the thing when it comes to these, these are called process goals, by the way, that right. what it takes on a daily basis, this is where we put 99% of the focus. So we start here with the vision. Then we say, okay, what, what about in the next 12 months? What's the product? Goal? What do you want to accomplish in the next 12 months? And then we put our focus on, okay, what do you need to be doing on a daily basis in order to get there? But we start with one, we start with one thing. So This process goal that you've just developed to walk for at least 30 minutes, three days a week, 
It's not a target. It's not something that you're going to shoot for. It's a commitment. Right. So you've got to get that three days a week done, no matter what, no excuse. And that's a huge, huge difference than thinking, okay, I'll, I'll shoot for, I'm going to try to get it done three days a week. Right. Cause that's the integrity be, part. Right. Exactly. Exactly. We've got to be careful what we commit to. Cause again, if you consistently get that done three days a week, what does that teach you about yourself? That I can do it. Exactly. And that you can stay accountable to what you tell yourself. And that piece of it right there, that is the cornerstone of mental toughness. And mental toughness is really what I'm coaching my, my people on, my athletes, my business professionals, coaching them on mental toughness, being, having the confidence to know that when I tell myself I'm going to do something, I know I'm going to get it done without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. And Developing those daily process goals is a big piece of getting to those result goals, the product and the vision goals. So I think, you know, I know we just kind of went through that for you, but I think that'll help people to kind of understand how specific and how concrete this needs to be. And we walk you through this really, really specifically in the book too, but keep it simple. Well, and we can take the same principle and we can apply it to something as like sales or maybe yeah. you're trying to develop a product and you know yes. that you've got milestones that you need to hit, but in order to do it, you've got to spend X amount of time, you know, doing the research or the, you know, whatever, or you're writing a book. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you I need to write X number of pages a week. You know? Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, it's usually a lot easier with business than it is with the personal stuff. Yeah. Right. Like in sales. Okay. I need to call X number of people a day, you yeah. know, or I need to, yeah. like you said, I'm writing a book, write X number of pages a day. Yeah. And then can, staying accountable cal- to that. Cause you can calculate that based on if I make 10 calls, I get one sale, you know? Yep. So then, you know, okay, not only do I need to get more say more sales per, you know, I need to up that rate, but I can start with making more calls, you know, like yeah. you can literally track that. And I think that yes. could be, Super helpful. I think, I think most people tend to go through life without even thinking about any of yeah, the tracking, you know? Absolutely. We keep our focus on results and that is so counterproductive to success. And that's, that's such a great point. And you're right on with that, that we're a very results-based society. We get rewarded on results. Um, our results are in our face all the time, but here's the thing. The more you're focused on your results, typically the further you're going to be from achieving them. And that is a game changer. If you can get your mind around that and you can get yourself and your people, your teams focused on process and effort instead of results, you're going to love the results. (laughs) And it's because the process and the effort is the solution itself. That's the solution. Yeah. That's yeah, what, exactly. Yeah, like let's sense. say you lose, let's say you lose a huge account. Okay. And you're like, Oh, this was a huge part of my revenue this year. And gosh, you know, that what, what's that going to do to my income? And am I going to lose my job? Am I going to exit? Like you can spiral that pretty far. That's that problem centric thought. And the more you're in that kind of PCT problem centric thought tornado, the worse it gets. But the second you move your focus from the result or the problem onto, okay, what's one thing I can do that can help improve this? What's one thing I can do that can help 
make up the difference there, right? Okay, well, I can get on the phone and I can start calling people. And it seems so simple, but it's so difficult for people to do without training because, again, it's just not the way our brains are wired. But it can be. It can be. And that's kind of where I, I, I'm like a shout it from the rooftops kind of person when it comes to this relentless solution focus. Because I used to be the kind of person who was very, very results focused, but it also manifested as a lot of anxiety for me. Like I, my norm, kind of my natural state of being is very high anxiety. And I just lived my life like that for a good, maybe like 25 plus years thinking that that was just normal. Like I would wake up every morning with my heart, like beating out of my chest. And before I would even open my eyes, my mind was going with like the laundry list of things like, okay, is my health okay? Do I have anything stressful today? Okay, what did I do yesterday that I regret? You know, going through that list of problems in my mind. And that was just the way I I was. That was my normal. And I thought I didn't even really realize it was a problem. And when I met Jason and just kind of by default learned his fundamentals that he had developed and implemented them in my own life, Like, I can tell you this way is so much better. Like waking up every morning, feeling at peace and confident that I'm doing the right things in my life to bring about the results. And I know that I'm doing on a daily basis, what my purpose is, is such a better way to go through life. And it's very simple to get there. It's not easy. It takes commitment and it takes consistency, but it's very simple. And we literally walk you through it step-by-step very specifically. So mental toughness is coming from self-confidence, which is coming from uh, discipline and that focus on the solution, focus on the, 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 the process. Yeah, and I think it would be, it is an appropriate definition of mental toughness, to say that mental toughness is the mind's ability to stay focused on solutions, especially in the face of a problem. Think about it in terms of an athlete. Let's take baseball. So let's say that there is a, um, let's say it's a World Series, <laughs> right? Huge game, huge amount of pressure. Let's say your team's down by a run and you're down to your final strike, right? What would a normal person be thinking about? Like they'd probably be thinking like, oh my God. God, I've got to make this, I've got to, I've got to hit this. Like I've, I've got to, I, I, you know, I cannot screw this up. Like thinking about the result, thinking about the result. And when you're thinking about the result or the problem, what you're not doing by default is thinking about what you need to be doing in order to achieve the result. Because our brains can only fully focus on one thing at a time. And so when you're thinking about the result, like I've got to hit this, <laughs> right? You're not thinking about, track the ball, quick swing, follow through, or whatever those that, that process is right. for that player. And so with athletes, that, that turns into something we call the performance statement, where we have them develop, you know, the two or three things that are most important for them to focus on when they're executing. That when they focus on those two or three things, they're putting themselves in a really great position to get the result, to make the putt, to, you know, hit, hit, the, hit the pitch. Um, but it's the same thing when it comes to our results as, as people, as business professionals, as parents, um, 
Yes, it boils down to the mind's ability to stay focused on solutions or what you need to be doing in order to attack that problem one inch at a time, especially when times are tough. Yeah, I, I can also see there's there's definitely probably a benefit in working with someone like you or even a trusted friend who can look at it from that external point of view because it's so easy to get focused and fixated on what's wrong. Yeah. And, and well, sometimes and that person that's back six feet, you know, can see it. Yeah, that's a really good point. And you're absolutely right that it's so much easier for us to be able to determine when somebody else is focused on a problem <laughs> than it is for us to self-assess. In right. fact, Jason always says this and it always makes me laugh and anybody laugh in the audience that like anybody listening to this is probably thinking, Ooh, like I know this person really needs to be hearing this right now. Like <laughs> this person, Oh, like they like to complain a lot. They're always talking about the problem. They really need to be hearing this. But here's the thing that person might be saying the same thing about you, <laughs> right? right? It's right. easy for us to, to figure out or to, to point out or to recognize when other people are fixated or focused on a problem, but it can be much harder for us to do. It, I, you know, it's something that I still continuously have to work on. You know, I do my mental workout. I do my success logs on a daily basis too. You know, I, I practice what I preach here and it's not like you just flip a switch and all of a sudden you're mentally tough. It takes work to maintain. It doesn't take a lot of time, but it does take work to maintain. Well, I've been working out with my boys in the gym and we're lifting weights. And, um, you know, my son has, was always scrawny growing up, you know, and now he's starting to get kind of bigger, you know, and yeah. every, every day he's like, all right. So like, here's like the most that I'm able to lift today, but I'm going to cut it back and then I'm going to lift a whole bunch of reps on this so that the next time I can go a little bit higher and do a whole bunch of reps on this. And now he's starting to see, I can lift that weight that I couldn't even lift when I started, you know, cause it yeah. starts that little bit at a time. Yes. Yes. I love that. That's a great analogy. Like if he would have picked up that heavy weight that first day and not even gotten it off the ground and thought, well, that's just too heavy for me. i you know, that's, I'm not even going to try. Right. But instead he's like, okay, what's the next step toward getting to that? Yeah. And then he took that next step and then he took that next step and then he took that next step. And that's awesome. And that's really hard for people to do <laughs> without training, right? Or without recognizing it. We call that the plus one solution. Don't look at the problem or the situation in its entirety with this entirety perspective. Like don't look at the top of the mountain and think about how far you have to climb. Because what that does from a psychological standpoint is it causes learned helplessness to set in. That's another thing that everybody probably or most people probably learned about at one point in time at school, but we probably forgot about it. That when we deem our situation too big or too much of a struggle, we give up before we even try. Like we give up climbing that mountain before we even take that next step or that first step. And so putting our problems and chunking them down into, okay, what's the next one step? And what's the next step after you've taken that step? What's the next step after that? And that's where the success log is really beneficial. Because remember that success log that I taught you, those three questions, mm -hmm. that last question, those last two questions are what's one thing I want to work on improving. And then what's one action step I can take that can help make that improvement. So what you're doing is every day you're forcing yourself to make a tiny improvement. 
and a tiny improvement and a tiny improvement and a tiny improvement. And at the end of the week, that's significant. If you're doing them consistently at the end of a month, that's significant. At the end of a year, that's significant. But it's really common for people to go to bed at the end of the day without having improved or ask themselves, what's one thing I want to improve tomorrow? Yeah, I think a lot of people, I've talked to a lot of guys over the years who just don't even see the need for improvement. Okay. Okay. <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be quick to complain when things are going bad. Yeah. But yeah. They're like, well, I don't need to improve my life. It's fine. Just the way it is until something goes wrong. And then. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Those yeah. are the guys that I just basically just assume I'm not going to be able to help because they're not, you've got a pride issue. You've got a wall that you put up. And, and I just have to wait for you to fall down hard enough to be able to talk you through this. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, humans are very, um, like we, we're seekers, yeah. right? Like we, we gain more satisfaction through seeking excellence than we do from actually achieving it. Like we gain more satisfaction really from the process of achieving our goals than we actually do. Like with like, like an Olympian, for example, you know, standing on that podium, usually that moment isn't quite as sweet or doesn't last quite as long as the satisfaction that they get from giving it everything they've got day in and day out leading up to that. Right. And then once they're on that podium, they're thinking, okay, what's next. Right. And because we as humans really seek that journey and seeking improvement, right? So it is, it is, you know, that's, that's the key is how you stay focused on improvement. But it's also really easy for us to have this kind of perfectionist mentality where instead of improvement, we seek perfection. (laughs) Right, right. And that's where we really get into trouble. And that's where the success log is actually designed to combat that. This perfectionist mentality that's ingrained in a lot of us. I would say probably most of you out there listening can relate to this perfectionism, this perfectionist mentality where we're really quick to shrug off what we do well and really quick to beat ourselves up when we fall short. And again, that which you focus on expands. And so if you're not allowing yourself to focus on what you're doing well, and instead you're really focusing on your shortcomings or your problems, those are going to get worse. And the more we're thinking about how we're not perfect, it's the same thing as focusing on our shortcomings, which does nothing. There is no value in that whatsoever. So focusing on your done wells and focusing on what you want to improve is a much faster, more efficient, and more enjoyable way to get to our goals. Ellen, I've got to ask you, I ask all of my guests a couple of questions and um, it's kind of become one of my favorite parts of the podcast because I kind of get to know you on a personal level as we ask, especially this first one. So if you were to run into the younger version of Ellen, I'm going to say maybe eight to 10 years old, and you've got okay. the opportunity to tell her something, what do you want her to know? I love that question. Well, I think I would say you don't have to be great at everything don't try to be great at everything. I was a very, I kind of clued you into this a little bit already, but a very type A, like perfectionist. You know, I took 
every AP class available, whether I was interested in it or not, you know, every club to be able to put it on my resume, like did all the things. And looking back on it, I was pretty stressed. You know, on paper, I was pretty successful. Um, but I was pretty stressed. And the, the older, the more experience I get, you don't need to try to be great at everything. Pick the important stuff. Work on being great at what matters to you. And that's going to be different for everybody. But you will be so much more successful at those most important things, that one thing that you care about the most, than if you're trying to be great at everything. I think that's what I would tell myself. Awesome. I wonder if she would have listened. I, you know, I always think about that. Like, yeah. Like, like, what if I did tell little Josh what he needed to hear? Yeah. Would I have even listened? Yeah. Probably not. Because yeah. I think there was a yeah. dozen people trying to tell me that. Do more. <laughs> do more. That's better. Be busy. Oh. I know. Well, and that's as a mom and, you know, as, as parents, I know there's probably a lot of dads on here. Um, that's my number one for my kids is I want them to develop confidence and I want them to be able to to monitor to grow their own self-confidence right now their teachers are great at helping them through this right like they're in kindergarten and preschool so they've got a lot of teachers telling them how great they are all the time they've got mom and dad telling them how great they are but as they get older and they get into these kind of higher levels of competition there's less people above us telling us how great we are and when we're used to focusing in on our shortcomings and try, and focusing on where we're not perfect, that inability for us to maintain our own self-confidence really becomes more and more detrimental. So my number one as a mom is teaching my kids how to develop self-confidence. Awesome. So my next question for you, what is your best advice for the men that are listening today? Oh gosh. Okay. So I think my best advice, well, I know my best advice I should say is do the success log, do the success log. Hopefully you heard something on here that stuck with you and that, um, maybe resonated, but keep in mind that knowing something or hearing something really doesn't do anything to make you better. You got to do something. So, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, that makes sense. I need to generally be more positive and more focused on solutions. Then I think I've totally failed as a guest on this podcast (laughs) because what I want to inspire you to do is something, do something and start with that success log. Obviously I want you to get the book, not because I care about, and this is where I struggle. I hate feeling salesy with this. I hate feeling salesy. I know firsthand for myself and for my clients, whether it's an athlete, whether it's an Olympian, whether it's a CEO, a leader, a mom, a dad, that when you start to think with this relentless solution focus and live your life with this relentless solution focus, you're going to see improvements in your life, significant improvements in your life. So, do the success log, do something, get the book and you read it and something different stands out at you. Do that one thing. I don't care what that thing is, but start by doing something. That would be my best advice. Awesome. And if I want the guys to, we're going to direct them. We're going to put some info in the show notes as well about 
what you were doing with Dr. Selk and your book. So um, we'll put that in there, but why don't you just give anybody that might not have a chance to kind of hop into the show notes, where should they find you if they're looking? What's the best place? So you can go to relentlesssolutionfocus.com. It's an easy one. Um, the book's available everywhere. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at all bookstores. Um, or I'm on Instagram. I think it's Dr. Ellen Reed. <laughs> um, Jason's on there as well. Both of us try to really post stuff that we think will really help people. Um, and so that's a good way to kind of get some um advice. I don't know if I like the word advice there, but, um, some ways to think about what you're doing and ways to improve, um, Instagram, relentlesssolutionfocus.com, jasonselk.com. Those are all kind of easy to remember, but you can find us. Awesome. I really have appreciated you being on the show today, Ellen, and I think you have some great insight and I know it's been helpful for me and I hope it's been helpful for our guests as well. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. Ellen, I really, really, really appreciate your insights today. This has been a very eye-opening conversation, and I know that I'm walking away with this with tools that are going to help me to be a better man. They're going to help me to succeed. They're going to help me to focus on the solutions. So thank you for that. Listen, if you appreciate this episode, if you got something out of it, please share it with a friend. Go on Spotify and leave us a rating. Go on iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. Let's get the word out about what we're doing here at Manlyhood. This is, we're getting towards the end of season five, and I can't wait to bring you some of the amazing things that we have for you in season six very soon. I love you guys. I appreciate you, and I'll see you next time. If you want to be a better man, check out our website, manlyhood.com, for blogs, videos, and more from our Manlyhood team. And you can also join our private Facebook group, Manlyhood Man Cave, where you can meet up with a band of brothers who will challenge you and help you on your journey of manhood. This episode is produced by Hatcher Media for manlyhood.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to the show. Tune in again for more of the Manlyhood Mancast.